But no, it's great to be here. This is amazing. It's brilliant just to see God's people. Um, it's brilliant just to hear some of the stuff you, you guys are doing. The football stuff sounds amazing. Um, I know what it's like to have two kids as well under the age of five. It, got, it gets easier. That's what you're meant to say anyway. So I'll, just, I'll keep it there. Um, yeah, so I, I lead Emmanuel New Cross. Um, my friend Kath is here with me as well, and she, she's part of uh, our church. We launched out of Emmanuel Church London, um, which has been going for 10 years, which is based in Greenwich. We launched out of there in 2016. And, um, yeah, it was just a, a heart of our church, a heart of mine, to just do something in Lewisham Borough. Um, I grew up in, in Blackheath, um, a South East London boy. I've always loved, yeah, you know, it's, it's what it's about. Woo, yeah. Um, and... Um, it's just, uh, from, from a young age, um, I've been involved in church, in uh, Baptist Church in Woolwich. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 22 at King's Church, London. Um, I was, grew up in, the, in, the, in a church environment, but uh, as unfortunately many people may relate to, I went to university, I got involved in music, I got involved in all types of things which I probably shouldn't have done, and... I had a revelation at 21 that I think God had something better for me. Um, and to cut a long story short, I did an Alpha course, and uh, me and my wife, she wasn't my wife at that point, we both did the Alpha course, and we both got saved on the Alpha course, and we both got baptized on the same day, and then we got married. So it's amazing. It was an amazing journey. Yeah, yeah, you can give God a clap for that one. Um, I say all that because basically it was at that point where God broke my heart for young people. I, uh, I'm fortunate that I, as a black man growing up in South East London, I didn't get caught up in serious youth violence. I didn't get caught up in gangs. I was not a bad boy. I wasn't one of them bad mans on the road. That was not me. I, I, I was a very good boy, but there was a lot of stuff going on around me which I could have easily got caught up in. The reason I say that is because God broke my heart for a youth culture which is broken. And if God can do that for me... He can do that for anyone. Like I said, it wasn't my experience, but then God took me on this journey where um, I ended up working for the Lewisham Youth Offending Service. I ended up working local and central government around youth violence, and then I eventually became a pastor. Today, I want to uh, look at a very familiar story, The Good Samaritan, uh, in Luke chapter 10. And today's sermon talk is called Power of a Fight, and that will become clearer why I've decided to call this sermon this. So if you've got your Bibles and you can uh, turn to Luke 10, if not, it, hopefully it will come up. Oh, look at that. Oh, technology. It's good. Um, and this is a very familiar story, but uh, hopefully there will be fresh revelation. So it says this in Luke 10, from verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, and to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass on the other side, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I have been reading a lot uh, recently about a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Hopefully a photo will come up of him. There he is. Some of you may be familiar with him, some of you may not be, but this is a guy who's a German theologian in the time of Nazi Germany. Um, And he was a pastor and a theologian who basically resisted uh, the Nazi regime. Uh, very early in Hitler's regime, he, he, he clocked that this was not a good thing, and therefore he eventually became part of a conspiracy which was a coup to overthrow Hitler. Um, and 12 years after that, he, he became one of the first voices in Germany to offer this public kind of opposition to, to the Nazis, and then he was actually executed. And one of the things about uh, Bonhoeffer is that he kind of developed this theory of costly grace, which basically means that he was prepared to step and walk alongside the people who were the most needy, uh, and he would be countercultural no matter what the risk. That was kind of like his his whole thing. And uh, another theologian called Martin Luther described him as a, a theologian of the of the cross, somebody who or would kind of walk alongside in solidarity with those who would suffer. And this is something which Bonhoeffer was uh, known for. And then what he did, he, just, he, he had these three groups of people. From this experience, he, he came up with these three groups of people. Perpetrators, bystanders, and resistors. So in the context of Nazi Germany, you had the perpetrators being the Nazis. These were the people who were causing the pain, causing the suffering. But then you had the bystanders. In in this particular case, it was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church were the people who were kind of not willing to get involved. They were not the people who were kind of saying, hold on, this is wrong. And then you had the third group of people, the resistors. These were how Bonifer would describe, were prepared to jam the spokes of, of what was going on in opposition to the German Christians. He created this, this thing called the Confessing Church Movement. And it was these people, the resistors, which Bonifer was encouraging all of us, really, to step up when things were going in a way which meant that people were suffering. He felt that it was the church's right and responsibility to jam the spokes of the will of the government, if necessary, if, if it was creating too much or too little law, which was not 
benefiting the people. Martin Luther King said this. This is a very famous quote, but he said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yes. Yeah, you guys can get vocal. I don't know what type of church you guys are. You know what I mean? But I like, I like a little... Yeah, we're practicing. You're getting there. It's cool. When it comes to injustices, there is, we can name many. Nigel just prayed and, you know, there was Syria and Iraq and all types of stuff going on in that prayer. And it's, and it's, it's true. Everywhere we look, everywhere we go, we turn on the news. I had to stop, weirdly, I had to stop letting my children watch the news. Because, I mean, normally they watch CB news because they're two and a half and five. But every now and again, they're clocking me watching the news. And then I just saw negativity after negativity after negativity. So I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to just stop. But there's lots of stuff, locally, nationally, globally, which we could all get involved in. One of the things which is close to my heart is the youth violence situation in, in London and in the UK. I first got involved in this, um, 2001. I just became a Christian, and I was just excited and energized and younger and fitter. And I was like, all right, cool, what are we going to do? And um, the church I was at at the time had no idea about the issues going on. So me and my friend, who who's also just became a Christian, we were like, what should we do? And he had the bright idea. Let's go to some of the hardest estates in, in London and, and proclaim the gospel. And Ben, you can DJ and I can, I can MC on the mic. Let's do something. So I was like, all right, cool. Where are we going to go? Let's go Brixton. I was like, oh, really? I was like, okay. So we go to a, a youth club in Brixton. And um, the, the people running that was like, yeah, definitely come in, get involved and stuff. So we started doing workshops. I remember the first day, first evening, because I was still working in the city at the time. So we were doing this in our own time evening we've gone in there and um this guy comes to the door and he pulls out a machete yeah <laughs> and i'm like whoa lord this is the moment where I, just, where I work out whether i'm meant to do this or i'm gonna die at a very young age uh so i'm praying you know and I'm, i managed to talk him down no machete not a good idea well, i know you want to go in there and do something and he listened and at that point that is when i was like oh okay maybe i'm quite i could be quite good at this but at that point, all I can say is that from there to now, it's just got worse. It's got worse in terms of what I'm seeing locally, in terms of young people being murdered. We see it all the time. You just see some of these headlines up here. This is a, a small snapshot. Um, after I was working in the city, I worked at Hazel Time Primary School as a learning mentor for a few years. There's a young boy there who I met on my first day called Nicholas Pearton. Um, and he was probably like 10 and lovely kid. And I was DJing. I used to DJ a lot and I, I did some DJ workshops. And he was just like, Ben, I just want to be like you. I want to DJ. Da, da, da. And then I think it was 2010, it, many of you may well know, he was murdered not too far from here. So this is the type of stuff where I've seen it get worse and worse. Uh, the middle picture there, teenage rapper knife to death in the street kid called Myron. I knew Myron since he was one years old. He's my best friend's, the same guy I was telling you about, we did the youth club stuff together. He's my best friend's stepson. And he was murdered just before we launched Emmanuel New Cross. So this stuff is real to me. It's not, I'm sure you see it around. And like I said, there's many different injustices that we could talk about. But I just want to just 
zoom in on something which I think does impact us locally. Youth violence impacts us all over the place. Let me just give you some stats. There's, and I've got a lot of stats, but I think this will help us. The rise, there's a rise in London stabbings, which sends UK knife crime rate to a six-year high. That was a, that was a, a statistic in 2017. Uh, in 2017, there's 37,000 blade offences were committed in England and Wales in 12 months. Knife crime tally represents 7,500 more offences than the previous year, and is the highest since March 2011. Knife crime across London rose from 24% in 2016, uh, 2017. Even on New Year's Eve, just gone, four young people was killed. This week, two young people killed in the same night. It's all around us. It's all around us. Now, this is what I've learned. Uh, I don't know what I'm about to say may well be controversial, but I'm one of these people who I like targeted responses. And I'm not into wishy-washy prayers, if I'm honest. I believe our God likes specific prayers, and he, he operates specifically. So I also like to do targeted responses to things, and I look at things. We've got to understand, when it comes to youth violence, it's not the result. It's not the, it's the result of something, not the cause. Sometimes we start at youth violence, but we don't work backwards to ask the question, why? Why have we got to this point? And while I'll say that youth violence is not just a black problem, because if you, I could pull up stats across the country, and as much as it's quite high or very high in London, you go to places like Scotland, where there's no black people, that's a, a generalisation. I'm sure there's one or two. But, like, you know, there's not as many as there are in this room. But, yes, yeah, so you'll see, <laughs> see, when you're not at your own church, you can say all this type of stuff. Um, but what I can tell you is that it's high across the country. So it's not just a, while I say it's not just a black problem, I will say it's higher in inner cities where there is a densely populated area of ethnic minorities. And that isn't me trying to make this into a black or white thing. That is just the facts. We have, maybe another controversial thing to say, we have a structural racial problem in the UK which is impacting the most poor and vulnerable. And we have disengaged youth. And we have a youth culture problem. This isn't me just making these things up. This is me looking at the facts and also having 20 years of experience of working in this field, in this particular area. And if you think I'm... If some of you are thinking, oh, you know what, I didn't come here on a Sunday to hear about structural racism. That's not why I came here. You know, who is this guy? If some of you are thinking like that, I just want just to give you a few more stats just to back up my points. And this is not me. This is not anecdotal evidence. This is from the government. Yeah, so the government uh, in 2017, 2016, did a race audit study. They commissioned this study. And then I'm going to just tell you some stuff. They won't come up because I want you to focus on me. But you tell me if there's a pattern. So let's take education, for example. 
So many of you will know, black Caribbean pupils were around three times as likely to be permanently excluded than white British pupils. This is not me saying this, this is the government. They're twice as likely to receive a fixed period exclusion than white British pupils. Okay, education, fine. Let's take employment then. In comparison with white British people, of whom one in 25 adults aged 16 and over were unemployed, black people, Pakistani and Bangladeshi people, and those who identified as mixed were most likely to be unemployed. Okay, that's employment. Well, let's look at income and what comes in then. Black households were more likely to be single-parent households, limiting the number of potential earners. I come from a single-parent household. My mum and dad divorced when I was seven. I can relate to that, but that was back in the day. This is now. Okay, well, let's take housing. Uh, Households which are most likely to to rent or have social housing were African and Caribbean. Okay, well, let's take crime and policing. Well, in 2015-16, white people were among the least likely to become a victim of crime or to fear becoming a victim of crime. The risk of being a victim of crime was highest for people from mixed black and Asian adult populations. Okay, that's crime. Well, let's talk about stop and search. Yeah, I hear a few. Mm, Okay. Almost one in ten men arrested were black, and one in six stop and search incidents were of a black person. But this is the best one. For every 1,000 black people, there were 31 stop and searches conducted in this group, compared to just five searches for every 1,000 white people. Well, let's look at arrests. Well, in the London Metropolitan Police Force area, 51% arrested were from an ethnic minority background. But, in, but the weird thing is, that 51%, ethnic minorities in, in, in London, the population only hits 40%. Work that one out. Let's take the criminal justice system. Black defendants at the Crown Court, particularly black males, were most likely to be remanded in custody, whereas white and Asian defendants were likely to be were not, not likely to be remanded in custody. Let's take health. Black Af- African children were most likely to be overweight, affecting almost a third of the younger group and approaching half of the older group. And then finally, when we talk about mental health, the demographic, the per- the people who I've got the highest mental health issues, the people who go to look for services in mental health institutions are black women. So, this is not me making this stuff up. There is a disproportionate, there's an issue where the structures are placed around us are not helping, A, some of the most poorest people, and also black people. Now, why is this important? Why have I just brought this up on a Sunday? Why have I just blitzed you with statistics? Because we, I'm going to make an assumption, we all live in Lewisham Borough. Or work in Lewisham Borough. Or connected to Lewisham Borough. And why is that important? Because 46% of residents are of black and minority ethnic. And this rises to just over 76 among, 76% among school children. Why is it also important? Lewisham Borough ranks as the 48th most deprived of all 326 local authorities in the UK, placing it in the 20% most deprived areas in England. So when you start thinking about what people are going through, 
combine that with the poverty around us, we know there is an issue going on. And as the question I want to put to you today is as a church, as Christians, what can we do? What are you doing and what can you do? I'm not coming with any agenda today apart from to say, you know what, Jesus lives. Jesus has given us examples. The Good Samaritan is an incredible story. But how does that play out in your lives today? That's what I've come to do today. I've no other agenda apart from that. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The question is, are you a perpetrator? Now, some of you be like, well, I don't pick up a knife. I'm not a perpetrator. Are you a perpetrator, overtly or covertly, when it comes to structural racism? Mm. That's probably another discussion. Are you a bystander? Do you see some of these stuff impacting the people around you and think, you know what, can't really get involved in that. It's not really about me and, you know, crack on. Or are you prepared to be a resistor? When it comes to youth violence in particular, there are systems and structures in place that do not help young people and their families most impacted. The question and the challenge for us today is can the church, can you as a Christian, jam the spokes, the systematic, unjust patterns and structures that impact the poorest people? You see, Martin Luther King, who I, I like a lot, said that when it comes to the church, there is a fierce urgency of now. A fierce urgency of now. We can sometimes just think to ourselves, okay, let's look to the promised land. Let's just go straight to Revelation, where everything's going to be great. And I look forward to those days. But in the meantime, there's problems going on around us right here. There's a fierce urgency of now. There's people being killed out there. There are people searching for answers. There is a desire for hope. And I'll tell you what, we are meant to be defined as Christians as hope givers. Because we believe in the, the, the ultimate hope, Jesus Christ. But if we don't step out, if we don't understand that actually there's times when we can be perpetrators and there's times when we can be bystanders, if we don't analyze ourselves and go back to God and say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry, help me, then this stuff is going to continue. One of the best examples of jamming the spokes is the Good Samaritan. And what I love about the Good Samaritan, it just shames the church. Honestly, when you clock the story and you read that story, it just shames the church. You had a priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levites were meant to be the people who were meant to look after those in need. And what happens? They walk past this dying person and it's left to the Samaritan to pick up the pieces. And I don't know how much you know about Samaritans and Jews, but they didn't really get on. A bit like Chelsea and Arsenal supporters, but in a lot more extreme. Any Chelsea supporters in there? Yeah, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Good man. I'm going to... Yeah, I know, I know. I've got to get out of here. Football's on soon. Um... <laughs> They didn't get on. There was a lot of racial hatred and tension, historic. So that's a double blow. It's kind of like, hold on a minute. 
you guys are meant to be looking after these guys you walk past. And here we have somebody who really shouldn't be connecting in, saving the day. It examines the religious and social prejudices that we all have. It's this outcast who shows the kingdom of God to the one in need. It's this outcast who shows compassion, this full-blooded, uncompromising, relentless offering of friendship and advocacy and emergency medical treatment and transportation and the hefty financial subsidy, even a follow-up visit. It's the outcast. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It makes me sick when I see people who don't even understand the love of Jesus doing more than the church. It makes me sick because as much as I believe in common good and people doing what they need to do, wherever they're believers, we should be the ones setting pace. And when we don't do that individually or collectively, there's a problem. And these are the reasons why the church is not taken seriously because we don't step up enough. We don't step up. And it it makes no sense to me because we have the whole weight of heaven behind us and the Holy Spirit to do more than we can even imagine. Why is this important? You see, like Boniface, the, the Samaritan was a resistor. He was countercultural. The priests were bystanders. But if we're going to be like that, there's going to be a cost. You see, I don't think Jesus died for us just to be bystanders. I don't think he did that. I think he came from the cosmos. He left the heavenlies where he was being worshipped and probably was having a, a really good time. And he came to be hated and despised and nailed to a cross for us. For us to then be his ambassadors, for us to imitate him, for us to be his, to be his representatives on earth. That is what he did. So when we're just sitting back, just like, oh yeah, okay, knife crime. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? You know, poverty. Mm. I don't think that's what God designed. The thing is, if we are going to be like Jesus and we are going to be like the Samaritan, we are, to what John Piper says, we are to get low. We are to get low. We're going to have to get our hands dirty. I think Jesus got his hands dirty when he came from heaven to earth. We've got to get our hands dirty. We've got to go to where the need is. We've got to go. We can't just be comfortable. We will like comfort. I like comfort. I like my slippers. Like watching a bit of Mash of the Day, a bit of Netflix. I like, I'm against comfort. But too much comfort makes you lazy and soft. Let's not fall into that. But what stops us from actually being... And before I go into that, you've got to work out what getting low is like in your own context. Yeah, I'm not going to say you must do this, you must do that. What is it in your own context? Mean like, Okay, it may well be prayer. You know what I'm going to do? I can pray. So what are we going to do? We're going to gather some people. We're going to pray about a specific issue. It might be like, you know what? I'm going to go and volunteer. It might be like, actually, I've got loads of money. So let me just put, you know, my, my hand in my pocket and give. 
Whatever it is in your context, work it out, but do something. But what stops us from being resistors? Well, I think there's three things very quickly. I think pride stops us. I think pride is a big thing which stops a lot of stuff from happening. And we know that Jesus came humbly to earth and we are to imitate that. I don't want to get involved there. Knife crime, no youngsters listening to Stormzy and all this stuff. What is that? What is a Stormzy? You know, I don't want to get involved in all that. You know, what they're wearing. I can't get involved. It wasn't like that in my day. Whatever it is, pride stops us from being the resistors God's called us to be. Second thing, fear. Do you know how many times I, I, it surprises me that us as adults, specifically with young people, are not prepared to say, hey, how you doing? You all right? Slow down. What's upset you? Like, in my experience of working with young people, it is so rare that an adult is the target of knife crime when it comes to young people. Just find it out there. Now, I'm not therefore saying, okay, everyone gets super brave, you know, jump into the middle of fights. I'm not saying that. But use the sermon and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, times I've just gone, listen, brother, you all right? Listen, sister, what's going on? You look really angry. Take a minute. Just take a minute. Just walk with me. Just chill. We shouldn't be afraid to even talk. And then the second or the third thing which stops us from being resistors is not being able to trust Jesus. We trust our own. We trust what we see. And we're called not to walk by sight. So I, I just think there's a trust and hope thing. We trust and hope in what we see. We trust and hope in ourselves. This is what is required to stop youth violence. And I believe that youth violence can be stopped. And I'll tell you why. I'm old enough, and unfortunately have gone through my own experiences where I've lived in South East London, and I've seen uh, racial tension to a nuts degree. I remember Stephen Lawrence being murdered a mile away from my school in 1993. And I remember what that did to the community around me. But fast forward... I know I can walk down Elton High Street and not be fearful of my life. That's just the reality of it. I'm not saying that we're living in a post-racial society or anything like that, but what I am saying is that I can walk down the street of certain places and know that I'm not going to be killed, which I couldn't have done in 1993. Now, if that can change, this can change. But it requires us, as the church, to get on our knees and scream it out and become resistors. So in conclusion, this is what I want to just say. I never, I always say this, Kath will testify, I always say this, the end of any sermon is not for you to do more, it's for you to know more. Know more of him, know more of who you are in him, and know what he can do through you. It's never about, I've got a checklist of things I need to do. No, 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 just look to him. So this is, where I'm, this is where the power of the fight comes in. Because what we're trained to do is fight the power. If anybody is old enough to remember Public Enemy, probably just me, but it's like, yeah, they had a song called Fight the Power. 
And I just had a revelation from God a couple of years ago where it was like, no, 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 no. You are to power the fight. You see, God knows we're in a battle, whatever that may well be. But how we choose to power that battle, how we choose to power that fight, determines the outcomes. And I know I've been guilty of in the past of trying to power the fight in ways which are not godly. And then I fall on my face. Let me do more. Let me do this. And God's just saying, look to me. I've got you. See, Jesus, when he came on his rescue mission, he did not come ill-equipped. He had the full weight of heaven behind him. He was fully powered up for what the mission he had. And it's the same for you. So I'm just going to do something which is going to be a bit bold for you guys. I just want to pray for you. And I just want to say, if you feel, actually, you know what, there's been times when I have felt less like the Good Samaritan. I felt more like a, the perpetrator, whatever that might be to you. I felt a bit like a bystander. But I want to be a resistor in whatever context. I just want you to stand because I just want to pray for you. And if nobody stands, then that's fine. But if, if people really want to move from being ill-equipped to moving in power, then God's got something for you. It's good. I just want to pray. And then I'm going to hand over to Nigel and let's see what God does. Heavenly Father, I, I I want to thank you that in Jesus we have the ultimate example of a resistor, that you could have been a bystander. See, Lord, we were perpetrators against you. We were the original perpetrators against you, and you could have been a bystander. You could have been like, you know what? You've offended a holy God through your actions. Crack on. But no, Lord, you came as a resistor to save us. Lord, I pray for every person standing here. I pray that even now you bring people and circumstances into their minds where they're thinking I can help I can be a good Samaritan I can be a resistor I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that difference Holy Spirit I pray that you power this congregation that you give them the strength and the wisdom and the compassion and the love and the desire to make a difference whether that is with their own families whether that's with their neighbours, whether that's in their work. Lord, I pray you do a wonderful work. I pray for a multiplication of the things that you are doing in their hearts, Lord, that it goes ten, a hundredfold. Lord, we pray for your spirit to flood them. Let this not be a message which is forgotten on Monday. Let this be a message which goes deep into their heart. Make that change. In your name, amen.